0: Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I get all excited inside. I'm like a little kid because I know that person is going to come in and they're going to taste good food. And if, if you're Italian... I remember your mom, Brother Manis, when she'd set the table in Phoenix, she cooked for us one time, and she had four main entrees from ham and turkey and, and lamb, and she sat there watching us eat. She did, and she was so happy. It, it, it made all the cooking. She must have cooked for days. It made everything worthwhile when she saw how much we enjoyed the food. And you know what, God sometimes looks down, he's given us the word, he's given us all these precious things, and he's watching us eat. And if I know, sister, or brother Manis, if your mom would have known we stopped at McDonald's before we came to eat supper that night, she would have been really upset. And when you come to church, you need to leave the junk food outside. Don't fill up on anything. Come in with an open mind and an open heart, because God's God's freshness is new every day, every day. I I always like to mention something about the pantry. I um I still remain so excited about the things that are going on. I know that this last last Friday consistently, it seems like every Friday and and Sunday more Friday more than Sunday we have. Um, probably about nine families, nine or 10 families come in. And if you add the number of people that were serving through those families, you could be 30 or 40 people a, 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 on a Friday. And then the families, we could be serving 70 or 80 people a week with food. And um, that's exciting. But not only that, that part of it, but the, the more exciting part is we had a couple of weeks ago, we had a, you come on on up. Lord bless this offering in the name of Jesus. Amen. We had a, a lady came in and she said, "You know," and actually, Brother Cordell was there, and Brother Kylie, Rick Kylie, was there, and she said, "I didn't so much come for the food, but I came for prayer. I need the food, but I came for prayer." And in the pantry, which has happened numbers of times now. The people in the pantry will gather around the the person that's come and stop whatever they're doing, and they'll lay hands on that person and pray for them. And um, I know that Brother Cordell had another person in his office for an hour this uh, this this week and talked to her about God. I'm sure, but the pantry is just more than just uh, an outlet to distribute food. It's an outlet to distribute the love of God through. Charity and companionship and love, and you can be proud of it. But, but there's one element um, that I need to mention um, you, can, you can help us by supporting it too. Volunteering oh, we have so much fun. I know Brother Matucci and Brother Zielinski, they do the pickup with the truck. They're driving and picking up groceries, and I'm sure they're having a great time and munching on expired food. (laughs) And so, pray for our pantry. Help us out whatever way you can. Uh, The other thing is, uh, we have a real something I would call a gem, and I, I, I hope that in the future that we can duplicate it more and more, but Some time ago, we started a a study down in Eagle. And we thought it was going to be an exploring God's word study. But when we found, when we got together, we realized that uh, that's not exactly what God intended for it to be. But for a time where we could come in together and we could pray together and worship together, and minister to another and then discuss something that was of importance to each other so everyone was involved. Now I know that, I know your schedules are really busy. And Brother Meyer, please don't be hurt on Saturdays when some of the men don't come. Uh, it's, It's very difficult with all the things that people are juggling right now. I don't know why it's so busy with all the automation Years ago, they didn't have the computers or anything that made it, was supposed to make life easier. But it seems the more technology we have, the more complicated life is. And I know how the devil will fill our time with so many different things, and the men's breakfast is really important. Um, but I do know that sometimes people are so wrapped up with so many different things, but going back to my original thought, if you are so inclined, and you would like to come out and we're going to meet together at six o'clock tonight at the Imel's home. I should ask, that's all right? I'm just teasing. <laughs> uh, if you want to just bring something to pass around, we usually eat. You can't have a good time without food. So we have a good trade time. So that's at six o'clock. We try to be out of there by 7.30 so people can go home and go to work in the morning on Monday. All right. To move on. Before I even start today, I, I, I was at work the other day, and my attache case was so full that I, I couldn't hardly close it anymore. And I thought it was time that I should bring it over by the garbage can and start throwing things away. And I didn't realize that God had wanted me to go through that to see to find something that I'd forgotten about. Um And as I was throwing things in the garbage, I came across a testimony or or something that God had done for me. And I'm starting to write these things down because I reread them like I did, and it encourages me so much. Um, And I came across this, and I felt like the the Lord said, sit down and reread what you wrote because you need to hear it. And I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to give you a brief, because I think it was for someone here. I was going to share it on Monday night at prayer, but the Lord said, no, I don't want you to share it here. I want you to share it on Sunday. So before I start, maybe this is for you. This happened about four years ago, and I don't know if you've ever had a time in your life where you feel like you're just coasting and floating in midair and you feel out of touch, you don't feel as close to God as you want to and you're drifting aimlessly and you're not happy with what's going on in your life. And you're really searching for some sort of an epiphany, uh, something that will give you uh, strength and encouragement. Well, my goal was, I thought, like most people, I'm just going to go up to Crandon that's where Rick goes and I'm sure he gets refreshed up there and I'm going to get close to God and it was in fall and so I I thought I'm going to go up there and I'm going to spend three days by myself no people and I'm going to journal everything I'm going to go out in the woods and journal my thoughts and pray and seek God that sounds really good doesn't it by yourself for three days all these mothers that say pick me I'll go And I went up there and the first day um, was wonderful. The leaves were falling. Can you picture the warm breeze blowing through the leaves? And I prayed and I felt a little closer to God. And the second day I journaled, but it wasn't as exciting as the first day. And on the third day I said, I have to go home. This is boring. This is, there's no people here. And On the third day I drove home and I really felt discouraged. Like I really didn't get the connection that I wanted from God. Well, I was scheduled to fly out to to Denver to meet with my good friend, Brother Dieter, and um, uh, the next week. But about three days before the flight, I started not to feel very good. And... I thought, ah, it's probably just a bug. I'll get over it. But on the day that I was to fly out, I was really starting to question whether I should go or not because I just didn't feel good. My stomach was upset, and I looked at my plane ticket and I saw that it was non-refundable. And I said, "Suck it up. You're flying out there, and and you're gonna you're gonna make it through. It's gonna be fine. The Lord will take care of you. The Lord's gonna take care of you." By faith, get on the plane. And I got on the plane and I flew out to Denver, and actually when I got to Denver I felt really good. I felt oh, I says, Well, thank you, Jesus. Well, my friend Dieter picked me up with a card. There is a point to all this, by the way. Just to hang in there. Dieter picked me up and one of the things that we always do first is we always go out to find the most authentic Mexican food that we can. We both love Mexican food. And his job is to scour Denver to find the most authentic. And I'll tell you some of the places that we've been in, I don't think they've ever they've never been checked by the administration for cleanliness. And the one that he picked this day was painted pink and green on the outside, and the sign was hanging by one thing, and the windows looked like they needed a cleaning. And I looked at Dieter, and I said, are you sure? He said, oh, Brother Kylie, this is the best food you'll ever eat. Well, I went in and I sat down, and it was really good. I just sort of prayed over the plate, made sure that there was no germs on the forks. And, but after I ate, all of a sudden, I got real sick. I, it wasn't the food. Uh, the stuff came back, and I got such a sharp pain in my stomach that I said, Dieter, I can't believe this, how bad this is. Something's wrong. And after an hour or two, we decided to go to the emergency room. And we went in, and they did some tests and some x-rays and stuff, and said, you have diverticulitis. And most of you know what that is. It's Little diverticuli that are infected and are, they can be dangerous if they, they explode because you can die of infection. He says, Well, we're going to give you pain medication. We need to put you on antibiotics. And I, I told him, I said, I'm supposed to speak tonight and I don't want not to. I flew here for this and I know this will pay for my plane ticket. <laughs> Anyways, but it was more than that. I just needed to preach. I had a message that I wanted to deliver. So I said, let me go. Give me the prescription for the pain meds, and I'm going to hold off until after I preach, and then we'll deal with this. And we drove from Greeley to Johnstown in about 45-minute drive, and I was miserable. I thought, oh, God, how am I going to do this? And Dieter said, hey, listen, I'll preach for you, buddy. You know, don't worry about it. I'll preach. No big deal. I said, no, no, God's called me to preach. When we walked in, it was 740, and Kelly, if you could picture this, picture no preacher here. And you're playing the piano leading worship, or leading, and no one's there to take over for you? Well, this poor song leader was going on singing more songs and more songs and... When we walked in, we walked into the back door and walked right up to the front. And Brother Dieter said, he introduced me right away, and I thought, well, that's good. I at least don't have to sit here, and I can start. Now, here's remember I told you I was looking for an epiphany. I wanted God to do something special inside me to change me and to to fire me up. When I touched the pulpit, I came up to the pulpit here, when I put my hand on the pulpit, all the pain left me. None. No symptoms whatsoever. And for the next 40 minutes, I was able to preach what God had laid on my heart to that congregation. And once I finished and I sat down, I thought maybe God had healed me. Well, it all came back in a fury. And I said, Dieter, I don't mean to be rude, but we need to leave right now. I can't take anymore. We need to stop at Walgreens and get this prescription filled. And by the next morning it was so bad we just went into the hospital and they admitted me and I was there for three or four days while well, they did the IVs. Well, Dieter only planned on me being there for three days, and he was going on a vacation. But here I am, I can't fly because the diverticuli, you can't the air pressure change. They don't want you to fly until it's healed properly. You might bust. So they said, you're going to have to stay a few extra days. And Dieter says, oh, Brother Kylie, I don't know what to do. You're just, I have this vacation plan with my family. I'll cancel it. I'll stay home with you. And I said, no, go. Let me stay in your house, and I'll be fine. Matter of fact, when you don't feel good, you don't like people around anyways. And he says, are you Sure. And I said, I think so. So they brought food over and I locked up. His, he had a beautiful house three stories tall, three living areas. And when they left, um, people would bring me food occasionally and it was all right. But the first day I was there, um, I was so depressed. And I was upset. I had all these hopes and plans for my vacation we were going to go atv in the mountains. We were going to pack a lunch and get lost up by the crystal mines. And we were just going to do crazy things, mend things together. And it was all gone. And um, I remember that afternoon, I, I finally, the house was empty. I went into the bedroom and I laid in the bed and I was really feeling sorry for myself. I'd asked Lisa not to come I thought just man up you'll be fine. And as I lay down in that bed, I'm going to tell you the truth. This is where it all starts. I'm laying in the bed on my left side facing the window. And I feel a knee and another knee in the bed. Now if you've ever if you're married or if you've slept with your brother or sister as far as when you're growing up, you know what I'm talking about. You felt, I felt someone get into bed with me and I felt an arm around my shoulder and I knew the house was bolted up. And I had a feeling, now don't look at me weird because if you do, you don't know God. God does this stuff. You better realize it right now and I'm, I'm coming against those thoughts. God is Supernatural. We have angels. I felt an arm come around my shoulder and immediately I fell asleep and I slept sound. Well, I got up after a good rest and I was feeling better and I thought, what am I going to do this evening? What are the plans for tonight? And I looked on his table, he had Home Alone 2, the video. <laughs> And I said, well, how appropriate. We're going to play Home Alone 2 tonight and, and can't have popcorn. <laughs> We're just going to just chill out. And so you have to, Dieter's house is huge. You have to picture it's, I'm on the lower level, and there's two levels above. So it's, I had everything locked. So before I went to bed, I climbed the stairs, and I turned the lights on just a light on in the kitchen in case I needed to get in there and I could like a nightlight so I wouldn't stumble in the night and I went back and down and I went to sleep just one light over the sink well I wake up in the morning and there's the radios are blaring there's, it's like somebody's having a concert upstairs all the lights are on and I thought how did they get in with the deadbolts how does someone unlock a deadbolt And I walked upstairs and I said, is anybody there? Is there anyone there? And of course, there was no one there. And I went and turned the radio off and I shut the lights off. And here's what happened next. I went into the living room and I said to myself, because I remembered what happened that afternoon, I said, what if the angels of God are in this place, couldn't see anything. But when I said that, the power of God swept on me like a torrent. And I realized I could picture in my mind the angels of God around me. And I began to dance and shout and cry and laugh all at the same time. And It was an epiphany. And it was exactly what I had wanted God to give me. I wanted to have, I wanted to touch him in a special way. Now, I said all that to say this. Sometimes when in your search for your epiphany or your, that special unction that comes from God where he reveals himself to you in a special way, it might come through pain and not through blessing. You may not find it in the woods, you might find it on a hospital bed, and I—I I think I wrote on the top of my notes uh, on my, my um, testimony. I said, um, "The joy is worth the pain," and I'm not going to title that that because I have a different message I want to talk about. But the joy is worth the pain. I was. I want to start with James, the second chapter, and I know that we don't have this verse on my, I don't think I have it on my notes. James 2 and verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what is it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there's one God? (laughs) You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Lord, in the next few minutes, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to reveal your thoughts to us, And lead us in the way that we should go. In Jesus' name, amen. Three words jumped out to me on on verse 18. It said, show me your faith. Show me your faith. And if I could title this this morning, I would call it the house of faith. But we can't really talk about faith with talking, without talking about hope. And you know, most people don't understand the relationship between hope and faith. I'd like you to turn with me to Romans, the 8th chapter. I'm going to be reading from the 24th chapter. For we were saved in this hope. Now the King James, I like the King James better actually. I think I'm going to read this over my version. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why doth he yet hope for? Verse 25. But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Verse 26. Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Verse 27. And he that searches the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And then verse 28. And we know that all things work together for the good, for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. We are saved by hope. The word hope in the original Greek comes from a word called elpis. Hope in that that Greek word means a strong and confident expectation. And I I want you to look at the word expectation. Hope involves expectation. It has confidence. Sometimes when we look at hope, we look at it in a wishy-washy way. If I were to have you take a notepad and have you write down a mark on that notepad for every time during the day you said these words, I hope it works out, or I hope it doesn't rain, or I hope that he's all right. You might use that word, that phrase 30 times during the day, and we've actually made it a little wishy-washy we've really taken the strength out of the word. Because hope is strong, it's masculine, it's confident, it expects things to happen. The other word that goes along with that that we read in Romans 8 was we are saved by hope. Well, saved means that word saved comes from the Greek word sadzo. Means It means delivered, preserved, protected, healed, kept safe. So when I talk about salvation or that word saved, I'm talking about more than one thing. I'm protected by hope. I'm healed by hope. I'm kept safe by hope. it said if we hope for that we see not then we do with patience wait for you know you can be patient if you know the thing that you're asking for is going to be delivered I have to tell you I joined Prime on Amazon and how much fun it is to be able to go on my phone and order a book in a minute and have it in my home in two days it's cool it's cool Oh, yeah, I'm just gonna. In the bathroom, I'm just combing my hair. I stop for a little bit to take a break. And then I order something and it's on its way. Do I worry that I'm going to get it? I expect it to be there two days after I order it. That's hope. I expect it to happen. Faith and hope to get are together, though. Here's how I view faith faith is the home, it's the big living structure. It encompasses many things besides itself. Hope lives inside of faith. Can you get the word picture? Hope lives in the house of faith. And that's what I'd like to title this, by the way House of Faith. Hope lives there. And guess who else lives in the house of faith? The gifts of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit all live under the umbrella or the house of faith. It protects your faith, protects those gifts and hope from the elements. That's why we have a house, by the way. It has a roof on it to keep us from getting wet, and it has walls to keep the wind from blowing through and disrupting things. It keeps us warm in the winter and cool in the summer. Without faith, we cannot exist because the torrents of the world accost our hope. They come against the fruits of the Spirit. That's why the Bible talks about faith that is seen is not faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Have you ever found yourself having a day or days of grace disappointment when something that you'd been hoping for, something that you'd been praying for, something that you really wanted did not come to pass, it didn't come true? And instead, it evaporated and vanished right before your eyes. Gone. I think all of us do. Anybody that lives in this world realizes the temporal, temporalness of things around us. But the message I want to share with you today is that God never fails. Sometimes the thing that we look for is... Is taken away for something better. It's like the guy, the little boy, that he wanted just a plastic sled, and that's what he wanted. But at Christmas, he came under the tree and he got one that was steel with wood. He was hoping for plastic, but he really got a sled. And it's the same way with us. I want to go back to Luke, the 24th chapter. I want to look at a personal event that takes place uh, at the time of the crucifixion. Let me tell you that for 4,000 years, actually from the Garden of Eden, when God had given Eve the promise of a Messiah that was going to crush the head of the serpent that had deceived her, people had been looking for him for thousands of years they expected the Messiah to come and to deliver them from the bondage and of society and give them authority, the authority that they desired. When I look at verse 13 of Luke 24, I'm looking at two guys that are, have just experienced the crucifixion. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. They're talking about the past. So it was that while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Now, that's an interesting thought. You can look at it two ways. Did Jesus purposely restrain them from recognizing him or did their unbelief restrain their sight? And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. Notice these words. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive, and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Do you remember the first question that Jesus asked him as they were walking? Why are you sad? The resurrection's already taken place. I've already appeared to Mary, the angels have already talked. To, to the women, why are you sad? I told you that these things were going to happen. And finally, Jesus has a pro- problem with their unbelief, and he, he actually reprimands them slightly. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets... He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread And blessed and broken, and he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon." And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, just like he had never left, peace be to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit and he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do does doubt arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they, while they still did not believe for joy, and marvel, he said to them, Have you any food there? And I'm going to stop there. What does Jesus have to do to convince you what will it take today for Jesus to convince you that he is going to do exactly what he has said he is going to do now I don't need to remind you if we read in the gospels Jesus reminded his disciples over and over that his kingdom was not of this world he even told them on the, at the Last Supper, this is the last meal that I'm going to eat before, be, with you before my death. He even talked about his death. But he told them, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to come back to you. As Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so shall the Son of God be in the earth three days and three nights. Why can't you believe that? Even those two people, they heard the story about the resurrection, but they didn't have their hope was dead. Their house of faith was crushed. You know how it happened? It happened when they, they watched Jesus be beaten. A blow to their hope, a blow to their faith. Jesus was supposed to be sitting on that throne, not Pilate. But Pilate was on the throne, and he was judging Jesus instead of Jesus judging Pilate. It was another blow to their faith. Then they watched from a distance as the stripes were laid upon Christ's back. They couldn't believe as they watched him suffer and bleed and die. Another blow to their hope. Another crushing blow to their faith. Then they watched him die on a cross And cry out to God at the very end, Eli, Eli, Lama Shabbatai. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that crushed the last bit of faith they had, the last bit of hope. And they all departed and they hid and they licked their wounds. They hid in their homes. They became the refugees. And they adopted the refugee spirit. Because they no longer drive with their eyes ahead But they looked in the rear view mirror As they drove What would happen If they were dwelling On the things in the past Oh do you remember when Jesus did this Or do you remember when Jesus did that Do you remember that time You know I, I have a rear view mirror In all of my automobiles By law you have to have one there But you're not to to drive forward by watching the rearview mirror. The rearview mirror is only there to be glanced at momentarily to see what's behind you and where you've been. But when you start to look in the rearview mirror, and you don't look forward, your car is going to run off the road. You're going to have a difficult time ever making it from point A to point B because you're always dwelling on the past. You're always licking the wounds of discouragement. Why, God, did you not do this for me? Why, God, did this fail? I thought you were going to do that, and you didn't do it. And we've all said it. We've all been disappointed. We've all had dreams that vanished before our eyes. But if we're all honest, we can always go back and say the thing that we wanted was not the thing that God wanted and he gave us a better thing. I could tell stories this morning of, of incidents in my life where I was so discouraged and distraught with God because I thought He failed me. When me and Lisa got married, I was, I'd finished Bible college and I was so excited. I wanted to get on to the ministry. I'd been biting my fingernails for all those years that I was there waiting to be a minister, I wanted to preach. And then I had to wait for her to graduate one more year. So I stayed in walk, matter of fact, while we waited. And then an opportunity came, I thought, to go down to Virginia. And I thought, oh, this is it. There's a church open in Hallwood, Virginia. And we both, at that time, I had a really good paying job. I had a union job making great wages, and things were really good for. For, uh, for myself as Lisa finished school. But when she graduated, we packed up everything. And I said, God, I sure hope we're making the right decision. I sure hope that this is the right decision. Well, God was going to teach me a lesson. My, 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 uh, my goal was good. I wanted to preach. I wanted to see people saved. And I, I have to confess it, everything went wrong from the very beginning. When I went to school, I got one of those green leaving plants that have vines, they, go, they grow and grow and grow. I had it completely around my room. It was about 30 feet long. Everybody used to come into my room and I'd water it. It was just, it was just, and I brought it with me and I thought, this is a legacy of all my time at ABI. On my way there, it died. <laughs> all those years, I kept it alive. But when we got down there, everything went wrong. We moved into a beaten down old house trailer because we couldn't find a place to stay. And you want to talk about the wind blowing through and the winds, those shades and the curtains moving on both sides. Not only, it was like the windows were open and somebody donated a cat to us. Oh, you need a cat. Who would give a cat as a housewarming gift? I don't know. And I should have given it back when I got the name. The name was Tobias. I should have realized when they gave me the cat that that thing was going to be a problem. And all night long, it scream like a baby, like a baby cry. And I'd be going, and I'd say, Lisa, I can't stand this. Well, we can't get rid of it. It was a gift. Maybe if we don't feed it, it'll die. <laughs> Uh, everything, the church loved us, the people loved us, but then we found out that the finances and the person that was handling it what, had deceived us and it wasn't what he told us it was going to be and we didn't get paid anything for our time there and I couldn't find a job to save my life. I even, I even went to Holly Farms. Anybody know what Holly Farms is? Chicken factory. Purdue Holly, they're huge chicken factories out in these. And I said, can I, can I have a job here? I'll do anything. I'm a truck driver. I'll drive a truck. I'd prefer to, I'll even pluck chickens. I can't, we'd have no money. Nothing. My wife, she finally found a part-time job down near Norfolk, 60 miles away, had to drive to work. Second shift, she'd drive home at 1 o'clock in the morning through a terrible area. And I, I, I have to confess, the end of the story is this. Um, we were broke, nothing left, and, but I kept holding on because I hate to quit. I hate to quit anything that I do. I don't know if I told you the story, but it's kind of funny. We had a school and a church where we were, and... Uh, we had, I had a meeting with a lady that was enrolling her child in our school, and I needed to be there at 9 o'clock, and I hate to be late for anything that I do. I find the older that I get, I'm starting to be a little later, though, a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there. So I'm in a hurry. I run out into my car. It's 10 to 9. I got just enough time to get there before she gets there, and I'm, I slam down the gear into reverse, and I punch it, and I run off the driveway, and no one in the world told me there was a leech bed on the other side of the driveway. And it was wet, and my car tire went right down to the axle in this muck. If you don't know what a leech bed is, that's where all the stuff from the toilet goes. So anyways, here I sit on my suit. I'm late. I'm broke. I'm mad at God. Why? does everything go wrong in my life? Why, 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 why? I'm trying to do what's right for you, God. Can't you see that? That's all the things that I'm saying. And then I finally lose my temper and I put my foot on the accelerator and I look at that tire and I punch it in reverse. And guess what happened? All the muck, all the sludge covered my face My shirt as I was looking out at the tire. And I got out of my car. I can't explain to you what happened to me. I don't know if I had a mental breakdown or what. But I didn't care. I was like I had no motion. I wasn't angry like in a zombie. I just got out of my car. And I sat on the couch covered with muck. And I said, God, I give up to your will. This is not your will. See, I didn't want to admit maybe that I made a mistake and that maybe God didn't call me there. and Maybe it was what I wanted to do and not what God wanted me to do. And I said, I give up. Well, I washed up and I called him and the appointment was all right. We just scheduled it for another time. But I realized when Lisa came home, I said, honey, we have to go back. This isn't where God wants us to be. Oh, guess what? We have no money to get a truck. We're broke. How are we going to get back? Try asking your father-in-law for help. It's hard, especially when he told you not to go. But to make a long story short, we went back and eventually God blessed us and all the things that I lost. I got another union job, got settled again. Lisa was pregnant, of all things. I don't know how she got pregnant. Everything went wrong down in Virginia. The cat we left there in the trailer, I don't know if he's still there or not. But we came home, and she was pregnant. And one of the saints in the church um, sent us a T-shirt in the mail. It says, conceived in Virginia, born in Milwaukee. But God gave everything back to us, and then a church opened up. I was at the bottom of this list, and I'm watching the clock. I know I'm, I'm on there, but maybe there's a point to this. There is a point to this. I found a job at Ryder Truck Lines in Milwaukee, if you remember that. It's on 11th and Layton. Great company, 70,000 employees. On, they hired me on and I worked second shift on the dock but there was a slight problem I didn't play sheep's head because they gambled and I said I'm not gambling and I don't care to learn sheep's head well there were five people on our shift and they said if you don't learn to play we need a fifth hand we'll get somebody else we'll lay you off you got 30 days make up your mind you either play sheep's head or out the door and I didn't play, and they laid me off. On my 29th day, they said bye. And I went home to this beautiful little home. We'd found everything had been going so well. And I said, God, why? Why do you do this to me? Why do you build me up like this and give me all these things, and, and then you take it away from me? What kind of a God is that? And I remember weeping in the kitchen, going through all those thoughts that I had. Why me? And... I still have to catch myself sometimes and grab myself by the shirt and slap myself and say, Stop it, you whiner. Grow up. God's in charge. Well, about two weeks later, guess who calls me back? The guy that fired me. Or not laid me off. I was between my 30th day. He said, Steve, I'd like you to come into work tonight if you could. He's real quiet. He's, Wow. And I I wanted to be honest, I said, you know, John, I said, if I come in tonight, this will be my 30th day and I'll be on the seniority roll. I want you to know that, not that you get into trouble. And He says, I know that we want you back. And I went back to work and I was at the bottom on the list and I was on the seniority. And when you're in the Teamsters Union, it's like joining the mafia. You're in for life. They can't get rid of you. The union reps back then that was so strong, Anyways, here's what happened. A couple weeks later, there was a posting on the board for a position in Two Rivers. Now, that was when the interest rate was 13.5%. Remember that? 13.5% interest rate on home loans. Everybody was afraid to move. They couldn't afford to. I am on the bottom of the list of all these people in this company in Milwaukee and I look at it and says, God, do you want me is there something on this board? Do you want me to go up there? And I drove up the two rivers, and I have to be honest, I didn't feel like kissing the trees or hugging the sidewalk or anything. But I said, I think God's leading me here, Lisa. Because I had told the Lord, I said, I will never go to a place where my fam- I can't provide for my family again. I will never do that to my family. I will always provide there's always got to be an income. And so I felt that I should, and so I signed my name on the list. The bottom man. And a couple days before I got cold feet and I took it off and I said, I don't know if it's the right thing because I was so afraid of making a mistake. Do you know you can have so many mistakes in your life that you are paralyzed and you won't do anything because you failed a couple times when the true opportunity comes along, you're the one that you're afraid to step out in faith. And when the next day they took it down and God said, I told you to sign that. I wanted you to go. And I felt so bad inside. I felt such conviction that I'd done that. And I went back and I told them, I said, you know what, I I changed my mind. I'd, I'd I'd really like to sign it. I'd really like to go. They said, tough luck. It's off the board. That's the way the trucking industry was. They wanted to hire all new people up there. And I said, God, if you want me to go, you'll make a way. So I picked up the phone and called my union rep and said, I changed my mind. I want to go. It's off the wall. He called them that day and said, he's going. That's it. And I moved up to Two Rivers, Wisconsin back in 1980. With a, I was number one on the seniority list of all the other drivers and dockmen that they hired. So I had to pick up hours and equipment, runs, everything. I was top of the line. And that's where I started my first church and everything went great. We even had, I was, I remember, and I'll stop with this. I know I'm rambling on, but I'm just rambling on. To show you, we started off in our basement with a little sign. Matter of fact, that was our for sale sign. We just took it out. The realtor never came to take it away. So we thought, well, they must want us to have it. So we took the sign and we had it repainted and said, said, Lakeshore Pentecostal Church. And we plucked that baby right down in the front yard so our neighbors could see it. And we started having church in our basement and we grew, we had people come and we grew from our basement. We had to go to a community room in Two Rivers. We all grew to the community room. We went to a storefront and then one day, and I'm gonna stop here, I promise. I got a call from a man, his name was Don R. Good. He was a Baptist pastor who'd had a stroke. His church, had, he was an independent. His church had dissolved into rivers, and he said, I would like to give you a building. I want you to come and look at it, and I'll make a deal, but I'll make a really special deal on it. We want someone that believes God, the foundation of God, and will preach the truth in there. And so I, I met him, and we walked through. It was furnished like this building. The pews, the pulpit, the organ, the piano, everything. In the basement, there were dishes. Sunday's rooms were all furnished. It was like somebody—they just walked out. And he said, "I'll tell you what I'll do." He says, "I, if you want it, I'll let you have it for two hundred dollars a month, and I'll sell it to you for thirty-eight thousand dollars." It was on a whole city lot, covered from 9th Street all the way to Tenth Street, whole block. And then at the end of five years there's a bloom payment for $38,000 and by then you'll have enough equity that you can buy it. And I wept. He said, do you want to pray about it? I says, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> but see, sometimes my vision was for Virginia. And God said, that's not my vision for you. My vision, my vision for you is here. I could have waddled in, in despair and stayed in Milwaukee and turned down every opportunity that I had because I was afraid to step out in faith and let my hope live. Don't let your hope die because of disappointments. Don't move out of the house of faith because the world will eat you up with its negativity. And stop looking in the rear view mirror. And stop talking about the things of the past. Start talking about the things of the future. <laughs> so if you'll stand with me. You know, I get these crazy things as a Pentecostal. I don't know whether you do or not, or it's just my mind going. But... All these songs that we used to sing, I'm not gonna do it to you, Katie, but this song just popped into my head. It just happens all the time. But remember when we used to sing, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Remember that one? My treasures are laid up, somewhere beyond the blue. You don't remember that, do you? The angels, sing it, the angels beckon me, from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what would I do? Me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. You know why how that happens? And Katie, thank you for I didn't want to embarrass you. You know why that comes to my head? Because God puts those things in your brain. You start you've got to start recognizing when you're walking around, God will plant something there for a purpose. And that reason that song came to my head is to remind you today this world's not your home. We're just passing through this place. Sure, I don't have a lot of money, and I don't know, like lots of you, retirement, if that's gonna be feasible or not, or whatever. But this is just temporary. My true retirement, or my my true eternity, is gonna be in heaven. And I don't need to worry about Social Security, and Medicaid, and Medicare, and all that stuff. That's where I'm going, and it could happen today we need to preach it the rapture could happen today look at the world friend look at what's going on it's like it's crying out church be ready lift up your eyes unto the hills from whence cometh your help Praise God. Lord, I I am so thankful, Lord Jesus, that you have done so many marvelous things in our life. Sometimes, Lord, each one of us is Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, Please telephone our ministerial team at two six two nine six five five one seven seven, or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org. dot org.